I'm Raina. And I'm Megan. Welcome to the Shh Don't Talk About It podcast, where we talk about all the things we need to say out loud, but think that we can't. We're going to talk about all the things. We're going to shed light on them. We're going to embrace them and we're going to fucking love them. So join us on this journey as we get rid of shame and start talking about it. Welcome to episode two, It's All in Your Head. Or is it? But first... We're gonna fucking crack those claws, baby! We got it. Cheers! All right. Well, hey, we're really excited about this episode because it's all about mental health and ending mental health stigma. Yes. That's really important to both of us. It really is. Yeah. Why is it so important to you? Well, fuck, because... Oh, I used to be guilty of having that stigma about mental health. I Mm -hmm. was one of those people that just thought that um, you're strong enough. You're it was like a weak thing to have anxiety or you had you're strong enough to get over shit. What about you, Megan? (laughs) Yeah. So it was kind of like um, for you, like that's kind of where we got this title from. Like it's all in your head because for so long you really thought like. It's all in your head. Why can't you just get over exactly. this? It's not like you're sick. Right. Right. And yeah. I've learned that, you know, it's not all in your fucking head. Right. It can be in your fucking body. It's in your fucking chemicals. It's all over the fucking place. And it's going to it's gonna find you one way or the other. So true. Yeah. I think that I never had, like, stigma that I would put on other people, probably because I've been in therapy since I was 14 off and on, Mm. but I had a lot of self-stigma and like self-shame, like being the kid in high school that's going to therapy Mm -hmm. or in my 20s being like the only person in my friend group that was going to therapy, uh, really stigmatized myself or really internalized this narrative of like, you're broken, you should be able to muscle through this why is every why is this so hard for you like you should this you should that I would like should all over myself mm-hmm. and really I don't know if other people stigmatized me or saw me or bro- as broken or not but I most definitely thought of myself that way mm. for a long time yeah and so I guess I want to talk about that um the stigma that I had yeah was on myself Mm -hmm. I don't you know honestly I don't know I was fucked up as a kid so I don't know how much I fucking projected onto others I'm sure I fucking did a lot um but when it really comes down to it as I think about it now as as an adult I think that stigma was definitely talking to myself Mm -hmm. and like Raina you're fucking you're strong you're not weak You're, you're totally fine everything's fucking fine all right so you're strong you're strong you're strong that was fucking always like playing in my head um to the point where you know like shoving everything down everything was fine everything was fine to and then everything was so fine that i didn't have any fucking i don't think i had any emotions or feelings yeah you kind of like miss out on the good parts of being human when that happens yeah and it's so interesting to think of like struggling with mental health or having mental health challenges as weak when like struggle is just the human condition. Right. We're all struggling. I know. But for me, like I couldn't show that I was struggling. Yeah. It was just unacceptable. Yeah. I don't think it was even allowed like growing up to be struggling. You know, Mm -hmm. my mom was pretty much a single mom and, 
you know, bless her heart, she raised five fucking kids and worked her ass off. Um, and I'm sure she was fucking struggling, but she never showed that to any of us. Mm-hmm. And so without that vulnerability, we, you know, we weren't very vulnerable. I wouldn't think as kids, you know, as, as yeah. So I think when I look back at my life, I feel like I've always had something, um, because if anybody fucking knows me, they know I've always been scared. I've always been scared. I was always a fucking scaredy cat. From the day I was fucking born, almost, my mom has stories where I would just fucking cry all the time. If she left my crib, she would I would fucking cry. She couldn't get me to stop. I had night terrors as a kid. I was very sensitive, I think, to this world or to, like, the energy around me um, as yeah. a kid. I think that's what was really going on. And I was just a really sensitive being. And over time, that sensitivity got fucking pushed away, like pushed down, locked away mm, 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 because I wasn't allowed to have that sensitivity anymore. I was shamed for being so sensitive Mm -hmm. and being, um, you know, scared. I guess you could say scared, even though I would think I was just sensitive, you know? So you kind of got a message from your family and maybe from like the culture at large that being sensitive or vulnerable or not being okay wasn't okay. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So you had to just stuff it on down. Cried a lot. Oh, as a kid. I wish I could go and hug little (laughs) Raina. She was so so cute. She's Um, such a good kid. (laughs) You know, my parents were uh, got divorced when I was young, and um, we had to make many trips back and forth here to California. And I would cry all the way. From the moment my dad dropped us off in Wairika, California. So for that whole fucking eight hour drive, I would cry, 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 cry. And then even when I got home, I would cry. I would miss school. I'd have migraines. Like I was just very just like in tune with my emotions and I felt things. And then as time went on, those things kept like getting less and less. I was shamed for having those emotions or those weren't being addressed. It was like, get like, move on, like, go to school, like, okay, it is what it is, you know? Um, But I was fucking eight, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And from then on, I learned just to, like, shove down those fucking feelings. Um, But then they've always presented themselves, those feelings and emotions always presented themselves, when I look at it it now, in a physical ailment. Like, Mm -hmm. I've always had migraines. I had migraines when I was a child, which is fucked up and sad um, because kids shouldn't have to have migraines. Usually they're stress related. Um, So migraines. And then I also had acne, Um, a lot of acne, just like around like my chin and everything like that for a long time. Um, And all my other sisters have fucking pristine skin. Um, But anyway, um, and then I had fucking, and then it went into other things, you know, then I had fucking chest pain and then I had reflux and then it turned into dizziness and there was always fucking something when I look back at it of my body just like reacting, yeah. even though my mind and my heart were just like, I'm fine. Like I felt yes. numb, right? I really want to just like highlight that for people. Like you can choose to live a life or you can be forced to live a life where you have to pretend that everything's okay and stuff it down. Mm-hmm. But there will be, and there are, very serious consequences for that. Yes. And, you know, your entire body was trying to let you know that you needed help and that it is okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. And 
it just took a long time to get that message, but you have now. Yeah. And what happened is I went to, I started going to therapy, uh, you know, and a year and a half into therapy, I was finally starting to excavate all those fucking layers that I just like stacked on myself for fucking what, 30 years, you know, Mm -hmm. just like keep that little girl like safe in there and tucked away. Um, And once I started like showing little bits and pieces of that or feeling little bits and pieces of that. Oh my God. My body started going through all these fucking crazy things. I started getting really dizzy all the time. And almost every day I was dizzy. I had uh, many panic, which I now now know are panic attacks. Mm -hmm. Um, My panic attacks or anxiety attacks, whatever you want to call them were me feeling like I was going to pass out. Not from hyperventilating. I would never like, (laughs) you know, I would never do any of that, but it would be more a quiet anxiety attack. So if you see me, I'll I'll start getting withdrawn. I'll start sweating. I start getting really dizzy. My lips will go numb. Sometimes my hands will turn into claws. Sometimes you'll text me to ask if I can text you every 10 minutes to make sure you're still alive. Yes, yes, because I'm just... It's not funny. I mean, it... It's not funny because that's very real for you in those moments. It's real. Um, And it's like every day, every day from the, from ever since I was a kid, I always thought I was going to die. Yeah. I was always been scared of something, you know, something was always coming to get me. Um, And I'll talk a little bit more about my physical symptoms, but how about you, Megan? Where would, where did all of this start for you? Yeah. So I think um, I am. Uh, I have a diagnosis of bipolar two disorder. Mm -hmm. I hate the word disorder, but I think of it more as just a cluster of symptoms that have a range of impacts on my life, but that is the diagnosis. Um, And it took me a really long time to find my way there. Um, So as a kid, I had really intense mood swings, um, even as like a very, very young child, Mm -hmm. like very emotional, um, very loving and sweet, but also very volatile child from like young, young age. Like you're angry. Um, I would get, I wouldn't get violent. I mean, unless you consider slamming your bedroom door so hard that your parents decide you can't have a bedroom door anymore. <laughs> as violent. No, I would just I don't. get. You know, I was I think never. That's expression. I was never physically violent, but I would get. Um, when I would get angry, I would get. Very, very angry. Mm-hmm. I just I just had really intense moods. And then in high school, it presented itself much more as like depressed mood. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh, even as a child, as a teenager, I would get into what now you could kind of think about as like a, a hypomanic state where I just would be like hyper-focused, lots of energy, working really, 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 really hard on tasks in a very, like, fixated way, uh, mind rushing around a lot, which we call flight of ideas. Mm-hmm. So I can look back. Um, well, and bipolar is also not something that you really diagnose in children because there's so mm-hmm. much stuff happening in our brains anyway. But I can look back and see um, certain signs as a young child and then definitely in early and late adolescence and then definitely, definitely in my 20s. Um, and okay. Sorry, yeah. can you explain what bipolar is and bipolar 2? Yeah, so bipolar disorder is a spectrum disorder. Simi- uh, it's not similar at all to autism, except that autism is also a spectrum disorder. And so that's something that, like, I think folks might be more used to, like, thinking about autism as a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Bipolar is a spectrum as well. Okay. Um, so uh, people with bipolar 1 
what their their symptoms are, their highs and their lows. So we call the highs mania, mm-hmm. so the lows depression. Their highs and lows are very, very extreme. And um, in bipolar two, like as you think about the spectrum, our highs and lows are less extreme. We don't experience full blown mania. Mm-hmm. Um, and mania is when you're like again like very sped up. Um, your brain is going really fast. You don't need very much sleep. You have a million ideas. Do you spend uh, a lot of money and stuff? You can, it manifests in a lot of ways, but yes, yeah. a lot of the behaviors look like really recklessly spending a lot of money, mm-hmm. reckless drug and alcohol use, reckless sexual behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, oops, I drained my bank account and drove to Mexico. Can someone please come pick me up? That never happened to me. But, you know, just like yeah. very elevated mood um, with a lot of um, high cost behaviors mm-hmm. associated but, with no, it. How about delirium or... You can have a bipolar manic episode with like psychotic features. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people do. And yeah. I imagine it's really scary for them. Um, and psychotic features will look like, yeah, just kind of like uh, feeling like you just want to crawl completely out of your skin. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where a lot of like risk for self-harm and suicide okay. can come into play. Mm-hmm. So all of that's like what a manic episode kind of looks like. And for with for bipolar two, um, it's less extreme. Mm-hmm. And we spend more time in the lows. We spend more time in depression. Mm-hmm. So it's frequently misdiagnosed as depression, which is what ha- which is what I which is what happened to me. Okay. Like I spent a lot of time in my life taking antidepressants for unipolar depression and wondering like why they weren't doing anything to help. It's because it was a medication for something that I don't have. Um, Yeah. So when I was 22 was the first time that a a mental health professional suggested that I might have this diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And I flat out like refused to accept it. Mm -hmm. First of all, it was a really bad, in terms of the evaluation, it was a really bad experience. Like that therapist did pretty much everything you shouldn't do as a therapist. Um, and I felt Who very, is this motherfucker? Yeah, I felt very <laughs> stigmatized. And also when I left with that diagnosis, I was like, I can't have this. Like mm-hmm. I can't have this and I won't have this. So that's where that like self stigma comes yeah. into play. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time I was like, uh, I had applied to join the Peace Corps. And if I had such a serious diagnosis, my placement would have been at risk, which that in and of itself, I think like says a lot about, the stigma, because yeah. like, make no mistake, this diagnosis, notwithstanding, I am an unbelievably successful person that like mostly has her shit together. Yeah. Um. But I just remember walking out like I can't have this and I won't have this. Yeah. And rejected it for a decade. <laughs> um, and, and over and that was it was a really hard decade. Um. And so oh, that's so hard because of the yeah. stigma or because you didn't want to admit it or you did you know. Deep I'm, down inside? Yeah, it made total sense to me. Yeah. Um, I, you didn't I mean, want the label. I didn't want the label, but I mean, I would go through episodes of hypomania where, like, I would work for 15 hours straight. I would sleep four hours a night and not be tired. Mm-hmm. I could, I had actually, like, a lot of really good ideas mm-hmm. and a lot of really, like, bullshit ideas and I feel bad for anybody that worked for me back <laughs> like, then but, I but I'd be like, I'm like and then we're gonna do this and we're gonna do this and we're gonna do this campaign and what do you guys all think I think that we can get this done by next Tuesday and I would have staff members looking at me like 
this woman's insane. And they were right. <laughs> I, was, I was insane. Um, I'm without my meds. Um, yeah. So, you know, and then, so it was a hard decade. Like it yeah. was a hard, it was a hard decade emotionally. I was very emotionally unstable mm-hmm. um, for lots of reasons, but that certainly was a contributing factor. Yeah. Um, but when I was 32, I reached a point where it was just like, you have to find out what's going on or I don't know what's going to happen next. And and what actually sparked it was like, I reached a point in a depressive, like down state mm-hmm. where things were so bad that I, I ran out of toothpaste. Mm. And so then I was like, I, I guess we just don't brush our teeth anymore. <laughs> um, oh, no. Like I didn't have the energy or the will or the desire to even like w- – drive two minutes to Safeway to get more toothpaste Yeah, because I was so depressed and I, and I was coming off of like a big high. Uh-huh. Um, and I just, re- and I remember looking up, like, is it possible to check, check yourself into the hospital for exhaustion? <laughs> like how celebrities uh-huh. do. And I just kind of realized like, you got to get a handle on this. Yeah. Yeah. So I found a great um, psychiatric nurse practitioner. She spent 90 minutes talking with me about what I was experiencing. Mm-hmm. And then she basically was like, I think that this might meet. She was so strategic in her language. This seems like it might meet the criteria for bipolar two. What if I prescribe you this medication and we see if it works? And if it doesn't, then we can rule this one out. Mm-hmm. And those were like the magic words for me. And she was so kind. And so I, because you're like, you're not going to tell me what I, yeah, am and or I what just I have exactly. Or- you're not going to tell me, and I don't want. And like, I had a high profile job at the time, very public. I didn't. I was scared. Like, yeah. what would people think? Like, would would that mean that like maybe I'm not fit to do my job? Yeah. And at that time I had was planning to stay in public policy and in politics and was like, you can't have like a bipolar person leading a state agency. Like no one's going to, if people know this, they'll never trust any of my decision-making mm-hmm. ever again, mm-hmm. which is kind of true. Mm-hmm. Like that's the stigma that I, right. that I want us all to just let go of. You can absolutely trust a, a bipolar person yeah. to make good decisions. Yeah. You can absolutely trust someone with depression or anxiety to make good decisions. Absolutely. It is yes. not the sum total of who that person no. is. But anyway, so that's kind of the story like of how I stigmatized myself and mm-hmm. made up a bunch of stories in my head about what people would think. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got it under control. Lo and behold, uh, when I went back for my follow-up appointment four weeks later, I was like, uh, yeah, this lamictal changed my life. Thank you. And then I started telling people, I started telling people at work, like my executive team, what was going on Mm -hmm. because I'm sure they noticed I had been very erratic and very depressed for like months before that. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to be a transparent, vulnerable and open leader. I'm going to let the people I work with directly know what's going on with me. And you know what? Let the chips fall as they may. Mm-hmm. And I also had learned That's by that awesome. point that bipolar is protected under the Americans with Disabilities uh, Act, so they couldn't fire me. So, yeah. <laughs> but you know, Just so you know, <laughs> yeah. And everybody was like, "Okay, cool. Like that kind of makes sense, and good for you for like being honest about this." And do we still have to do all that shit by Tuesday? No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were probably relieved. Like, okay, she's gonna get her shit together on this now. So I don't know. I mean, that's kind of a long story. It's not a long story. It's I a think, fucking, you put like a decade and a half in like two minutes. <laughs> yeah. And I just think, you know, I really, what really, really held me back is I was in these high profile 
leadership positions from the time I, in like nonprofits and in state government from the time I was 25 um, until I left state government when I was 33 to go to graduate school. Mm -hmm. Um, And even now, like as a mental health professional, I still, I, I also still feel a little bit like, Oh, is it okay to say out loud that like, I have this diagnosis. It does not impact my ability to do my job whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But like, is it, is that okay to say? Like, yeah. I still have that little fear. And part of it is a story I've made up and part of it's real. Yeah. Because the way that society thinks fucking, about yeah. di- a diagnosis, yeah, especially if sure. you're talking like bipolar, borderline personality disorder, schizophrenia, mm-hmm. dissociative identity disorder, all these things that have disorder. Disorder. Like your general broken. anxiety disorder. Yeah. Um, yeah. Generalized anxiety disorder. Yeah. So thank you for sharing your journey to yeah. diagnosis. It's a hard one. It's a tough one. Yeah. Um, but it's a big relief to have. Oh my God. Yes. Although I will yes. say this too, like for me, it was a big relief to have because I'm like, okay, this makes sense. Now we can have a game plan. But I still like, I never say I, I am bipolar. I always say I have a bipolar two diagnosis mm-hmm. because it's important to me, like that the sum total of who I am as a human isn't a diagnosis. Like the sum total of you as a human is not a person with things. You're not, you're not, it's not like, oh, Raina is anxiety arena has anxiety like no. you're, you experience anxiety yeah and i mean it's it took me a long time to admit that i always thought i was fucking cool calm collected fucking strong as fuck like no emotion no whatever and then i was like you know i think i i want to have emotion i <laughs> what would that be like? like i want to um know what love is what i want to know what love is <laughs> what are these um, things you call feeling like um so yeah because throughout my life like i you know was talking about i've i there's a lot of external things throughout my life um that caused a lot of emotional trauma um, for many, many years. Um, so not only do I have anxiety, but I do also have complex PTSD from those things. Um, and I know why they're so traumatic to me. Only Not only because of what they were, but also because of who I am. Because I am that, that sensitive yes. little girl. And yes. it fucking really rocked my fucking core to the point where I was just ice, ice cold, um, for a long time, and I was a really mean person, actually, for a long time throughout my adolescence. Um, mm. But I was hurt. I was hurt, and I was protecting you myself. You were protecting yourself. You know, and it took me a long time. And, and, and I always I always want to be that, like, affectionate one, saying, babe, I love you a lot. Mm-hmm. But I didn't grow up like that. So, anyway, um, I was... As I was saying, I'll go back like a year and a half into therapy. I started like feeling these things, these weird things in my body that I could not explain. And it scared the fucking shit out of me. And um, so, yeah, I started getting really dizzy all the time. Um, and I thought it was just, you know, vertigo or whatever. So I had testing done. I had a brain MRI done. I had fucking a stress echo done. I had halter monitors on. I had all the fucking t- the gamut of tests whether it would be my heart or my brain, I didn't fucking know what was happening. I just yeah. knew I felt outside of my body. I felt like I was floating. I felt like I wasn't here. I felt like I was looking behind my eyes. Like, 
there was like this disconnection. I remember that. And it was almost like, it's interesting to me that you were seeking answers in like physical health. Like this must be something physically wrong with me. Like touching the thought that this could actually just, just that's minimizing that this could be my mental health. Yeah. Like that was not an answer that you wanted to touch until you went through the whole litany of physical. Yeah. So I, I think mean, we're so much more accepting of physical ailments. Well, then I, that's something that I can work with, you know, uh-huh. treat it, treat it. Yeah. That's an easy fix. You know what I mean? Like not an easy fix, but you know, it's something it's tangible. You could do something about it. Um, but no, everything was fucking normal in my, all my tests mm-hmm. and everybody kept saying, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm like, I'm, I'm now I'm admitting I, I am not fine. I am not fine. I don't feel fine. I feel like I am not here. I feel like I'm somewhere else, but I'm here, but I'm not. It was such a weird experience. Um, and finally I had like a fucking, uh, a moment at work where I just started freaking the fuck out and I had a, a panic attack. And then my coworker was just like, you know, she took my vitals and all the fucking objective data was fine. But I was like, I am not okay. I'm not okay. Um, I got to go home. I left work. I, I finally took some medication. I took some clonazepam to like to see if that would help. I'm like, what is this? What is this? Because it didn't wasn't that textbook fucking anxiety attack. You know, I just anyway, but it I woke up and it reset me and I was like back in back in my body again. It was such a weird. Mm-hmm. I was like, OK, that's weird. Um, But then I still didn't get it. I still didn't get it until I was at my nephew's fucking baseball game. And I started feeling floaty again. And I'm like, why am I feeling floaty? I don't even feel anxious right now. I feel super calm and chill. I'm at my fucking baseball game for my nephew. and But I feel floaty. And now I'm starting to think about the floaty. And now I'm getting anxious, you know? Mm-hmm. And then so my brother-in-law, fucking thank you. You fucking pointed it out that that was anxiety. And I didn't know that was anxiety. And he, like, once he named that, I was like, okay, What? Yeah. And then things started fucking falling into place. Things started making sense of why all of a sudden my body was like starting to feel all of these things and my mind didn't know what to do with those things because I've never felt, I haven't felt emotion like that in fucking years. I did a, such a good job at protecting myself. Yes, you did. And I think it's important to honor that and then to say, thank you self for protecting me in that way. Yeah. And your protection is now holding us back from where we're going. Yes. We're going to try something different now. Yeah. It was rough, people. It was fucking brutal. How old were you? That was like two years ago, right? So like 38? It was last year. 38, 39? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm asking that question for a reason, not just like put your age on blast. No, but what I want... I ain't no shame in my game, baby. What I, <laughs> what I want people to kind of understand is that... um. It can take a while to overcome your internal stigma and society's stigma about acknowledging that something doesn't feel right Right. and to seek help. Mm -hmm. You were 38. I was 32 when I finally accepted the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And for both of us, I think, like the process of acknowledgement and acceptance and letting go of like self blame or shooting on ourselves yeah. or like stigmatizing ourselves has opened the door 
to such incredible freedom, growth, exploration, permission to just be who we are and figure out what that means. I didn't know, you know, like the person I was, wasn't the person that I fucking am. The person you were, wasn't the person you were. No, you are. No, it's like, it was just like somebody behind all these fucking walls, you know, like I am becoming more and more open and more and more free. Like I guarantee you, I would not be doing this podcast if Mm -mm. I never sought help. Yeah. If I never admitted to myself that I fucking need help, that there's a fucking problem here, people. <laughs> but yeah. Like, I would not be sitting here sharing my experiences with you. I, I would um, feel shameful for that, to be honest, because nobody needs to know my fucking business. That's how right. I used to be. But now I'm like, no, I want you to know because it, it's I feel like so many people go through it and. I was one of those people and I was alone in that because I didn't share it with anybody. Um, and I just kept fucking going and going and going. And I was against medication. I was against taking any medication because I didn't need it. I didn't want that quick fucking fix. Right. You well, know, let's talk about that. Yeah. But I do. I want to just I I'm like connecting so strongly with what you're saying personally. And then also I have um, as a therapist, I hear from people really frequently. Um, I should be past this by now. I can't believe I waited this long. And it's Mm -hmm. funny because I will hear that from people in their very early 20s and people in their mid 60s. And everybody's putting that same blame on themselves. So if you're listening to this and any of you're connecting with any of this or any of it sounds familiar, wherever you are in your life, wherever you're at in your journey, um, it is okay to just say, like, I'm not okay. And I think Mm -hmm. I want to figure out how to get some support to forge a new path for myself. Yes, absolutely. You know? It's never fucking too late no. or anything. Like it's right on time. It's right on time. I Wherever you are, there you are. I was 32. Like, yeah. yeah, I wasn't ready either. I was yeah. like, I had a whole nother goal in mind. I had and I accomplished those fucking goals. Yes. You know, hallelujah. Thank you to my old self. But now I'm like, my new goal is to like be like reconnect myself with myself again, like yes. come home to that little girl again, like let that little girl out of there, you know, yes. <laughs> like, I don't know. And there's no shame in saying, help me. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague ridden world that ours is not a loving God. And we, are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Bantwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. No. Well, so let's talk about some of the things that have helped because asking yeah. for help, seeking help, saying out loud, something's not right, that is one of the most courageous acts that I think a human being can commit because we are just swimming in like stigma soup around mental health stuff. Yeah. So one thing that's definitely helped both of us is medication, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting um, that you said you used to be totally anti-meds. Totally. And I think think a lot of people are. (laughs) And I will say like we can chat about this. Like it's a balancing act. Like of course, like medication isn't a silver bullet that just like fixes everything. It can help you reach a baseline mm-hmm. um, from which you can build and do a lot of other work. But I have a feeling that there's people listen that 
among the people listening or watching, there's like mixed perspectives on the idea of medication mm-hmm. for mental health. And yeah, so I don't know, like you used to be no, I now you're yes. Like what, yeah. what changed? Um, what changed for me? Well, I used to be a no because I thought I, the fucking stigma, you know, I think it was something deep down inside where I, I didn't want to admit to myself, you know, and I thought medication, taking a pill was such a quick fix. And, um, I didn't like that, even though my whole fucking life, since I was a teenager, I always did some sort of substance to take the pain away, to distract myself, to numb myself, Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, continued on into that, into adulthood doing that. Um, but yet I could not fathom just taking a fucking pill to, to feel good, even though, you know, it was just a weird thing. Um, I even wrote a fucking paper when I was in college. Okay, I wrote a fucking paper um, <laughs> against meds. Again, about Prozac Nation. Uh, <laughs> that book. That book. I mean, I didn't read the book. You don't need to. <laughs> but you, was- unless, unless you're like really into. Oh God! Actually, Elizabeth Wurzel passed away. The woman who wrote it, and she is actually a good writer, but it's a pretty self indulgent book so you don't need to read oh. it oh i don't even know what it's about i just know it's the about idea. a upper a wealthy white woman's journey through depression oh okay and here in my head i don't prozac need any more of those everybody's stories everybody's fucking popping pills yeah. taking prozac i mean it's kind of about that too, oh okay but, um yeah. and so i wrote a whole paper saying like why why does everybody want that quick fix that quick fix like there's work to do and yes there is work to do and you do that work and you're still like, what the fuck? You know, like for me, I could not manage my shit without medication. And I am not ashamed to say that. Like yeah. I am not okay. I wasn't okay. I can see that so clearly now, but when I was in it, I could not fucking see it. I was right on the couch all the time. I was scared all the time. I could not sleep alone. I, it was horrible. Had so many fucking racing thoughts in my head. It was so much static. It was exhausting. Right. And you can't unpack what's underneath it if you're in a constant state of panic. If your, like, uh, limbic system is, and your parasympathetic nervous system is constantly activated, you're not going to be able to work on the deeper fundamental things that might be underneath the anxiety. Yeah. Like, when I was a year and a half into therapy, that's when shit started coming out Uh because I was finally starting to make progress in therapy. Yeah. And, like, letting go and letting things out. And then my mind was like, nope, nope, nope. Or my body, whatever. Whatever the fuck was like, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to protect you. My mind. I'm going to protect you. Um, So it wouldn't let me go any further until I fucking, until I got took medication. And then, fuck, I'm telling you. I mean, you know, I don't know. Medication's not for everybody. And... Like I said, I was against it <laughs> in the beginning, like 15 years ago. Okay, let's let's be real here. Um, but I again, I would not be sitting here doing this fucking podcast if I didn't get help and if I didn't if I wasn't on my medication. Yeah, I mean, how about you? Yeah, very similar. Um, the medication I take is extremely helpful um, because it helps keep me in like homeostasis. Mm-hmm. It just helps me keep myself at a baseline that is me. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, does that feel amazing? It, yes, it oh, feels God, really good. I and not even I used to not even be able to say feels good. So yeah, <laughs> I and, remember. Yes. Well, and I, I think I was kind of similar. Like I don't. I had two thoughts. One, I don't want to have to take a med- take medicine every day for the rest of my life. And two. This dumb, like this arrogant 20-something-year-old, I don't want to lose my edge. 
bitch, your edge is way too edgy and you're miserable. <laughs> yeah. Um, and who are you doing it for I anyway? shouldn't call past me a bitch. <laughs> But it's like... Well, I was a fucking bitch. Just, I will say um, that. It's just a little bit of a misguided thought because even with the 200 milligrams of my of the medicine I take, which is Lamictal, um, like, I'm still a creative, passionate, highly emotional person that feels things deeply. It doesn't numb me out. Now, I will say that it's really important... like. Medication or not is a like very personal decision. It's important yeah. to find a prescriber who listens to you, mm-hmm. who's going to really work with you to figure out mm-hmm. what works, who's yeah. going to be patient. And it's important to have patience with yourself. But for me, and, and I still struggle with medication compliance sometimes mm-hmm. because um, I still have that voice in my head. Like, maybe you don't need this. You shouldn't have to take this for the rest of your life. Remember how fun it is to be hypomanic. Like, mm-hmm. you know... It, but that voice is not a truth teller. Yeah. So, you know, but, and I think about it now, like, like you would never say to somebody who's diabetic, like, why are you taking insulin? Surely with enough positive thinking, your pancreas will just start to make enough insulin for your body. Right. right. But we say to like a person who struggles with depression, like, why are you taking that? That's so weak. Surely your brain can produce serotonin on its own. Like, no, it can't. That's no, the problem. It can't. Yeah. So, you know, I think, I do think there's been a cultural shift, but yeah. for me and for you and for lots of folks, if you were working with a good prescriber who listens to you, who doesn't overdo it, who doesn't just throw 500 different pills at you, mm-hmm. it can be a way that you just manage your symptoms enough to get back to the core who is you. Mm-hmm. And then that core mm-hmm. who is you has a lot of other work to do yeah. in um, therapy yeah, or what other heal- whatever healing modalities you decide work best for you. For me, it has been um, therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lot, there's many different ways I think to approach like healing and nurturing one's like spirit and mending your soul. Yeah. Um, Medication's not going to do the mending work for you, no. but it's going to make you able to like, where am I going with this analogy? It's going to, it's going to make you well, able I to like pick have... up the needle and thread and start sewing, you know, yeah, like, <laughs> I landed, it fucking took me a while to land the plane on That's that okay. one. <laughs> I hear what you're saying. It just basically, it quiets the fucking mind, y'all. Mm-hmm. It like, finally the static is clear. I have more energy because it's not all invested in like all the fucking what ifs and the anxiety. Um, for me, it did take me a little bit to find the right medication. So I had to do a trial of, of several different ones till I find the right one for me. So do not be discouraged if you're like, fuck, fuck, you know, this isn't working. You know, you do have to give it time and it does take six weeks for it to actually change the chemistry of your brain. Um, but for me, once that happened, it was just like a fucking light bulb went on and, and here I am and here I fucking am. It feels good to be here, y'all. <laughs> so step one, one. So one part of getting help for both of us yeah. is um, finding a medication that works again to bring back to baseline, mm-hmm. and then um, other things that we do to take care of our mental health. Like mm-hmm. I, um, we both go to therapy. Mm-hmm. Again, I will say I I began. I went to therapy for the first time when I was fourteen. I can't even remember the number of therapists I've had. I did not find one who I felt truly got it until I was 32. Mm. And he was amazing. That man absolutely changed my life um, in 
connected with my pain and what was going on with this like level of empathy I had never experienced mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I hear a lot of horror stories from a lot of different kinds of people about really yeah. bad therapy experiences. Mm-hmm. So what I, what I do think, I, I think it would be kind of useful if we talk a bit about like looking for a therapist. And, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I tried one um, a few years ago before I actually went back. Um, but mm, it was everything I want. like, she was good on paper. She was mm-hmm. a woman of color. She focused on trauma. Um, she was a woman that was important to me. Um, and, I did like two sessions with her, two or three sessions with her, and it was it was it was fucking bad. You Do you know? feel comfortable telling people it happened? Because this is actually a red flag story, and I want people. To yeah, know. well, I mean, a couple of things is like she literally did a whole like about like checklist, okay, like for the DSM, right? Sure. Which was a lot because what the fuck? Like, I'm not a textbook you're you know? not a checklist i'm not a checklist i'm not name. it's like what okay i have to pick and choose what the fuck what category i'm in anyway and then so and then um she also shared with me her religious preferences which is really odd because um she was heavily i don't know i don't know why she felt like she had to share that with me and i could not go deeper in like my sexual experiences as an adolescence because i felt very uncomfortable and then from the stories that i did tell her or I don't even know where she fucking got this. Um, but she told me that I make it, I made it hard to love me. Like I was hard to love or some shit like that. And I was like, Oh, when Raina told me that story for the first time, no, it was not. (laughs) Oh God. I was not even a therapist yet. I was still in grad school when you told me that story and I hit the roof. A therapist should never say something like that to you. And if you have somebody like that, who you are entrusting with your mental health, break up with them. Yeah. You know, I will say like, if you're using, if you're, um, using insurance, Mm -hmm. they have to come up with a diagnosis. I wasn't even using insurance. Are you serious? I paid out of pocket for her. Cause like that's, but she was new. She was new. I mean, I'm not that experienced either. I'm 18 months in, but I'm true. Anyway, I mean, I, if you are using insurance, they do have to come up with a diagnosis within the first meeting to be able to have the billing code, yada, yada. However, there are still there are ways to do that assessment and have that conversation with somebody that doesn't make them feel like a checklist. So, yeah, you know, it was horrible. I wanted you to tell that story because I wanted people to, I guess, hear us both say if you go to a first therapy appointment and you feel dehumanized in that way, don't go back. Mm-mm. You owe them nothing. No. Um, except your copay. And yeah. I mean, you're paying it. them to help you. Yeah. So if they're not fucking helping you, then you don't, you don't owe them anything. And so just, so even, so she kind of like, didn't scar me, but you know what I mean? Like going into another therapist, was I was like, had my walls up. Yeah. Cause I'm like, fuck, you know? So it took a long time for, my therapist now to like, like a year and a half for me to finally like give in, you know, and like admit something was wrong with me. <laughs> and she hung in there with you. So that's an example of a good therapist, yeah. you know, who just sort of like went at your pace, yeah. rec- like kind of probably recognized what was up and didn't push you. Mm-hmm. So there are the horror stories. There's also the incredible, like empathetic, thoughtful people who are going to 
what you want to look for is someone who will go at your pace, yeah. who really listens to you, who's yeah. not forcing their own agenda, Mm-mm. who, like, at a minimum, makes you feel human. Yes. You know? Yeah. And, and, um, and loved. And respected. <laughs> and, like, respected and safe. Fucking yes. safe. Because the other thing I, the other, something else I think a lot about when I'm in the therapist chair, not the client chair, is the power differential. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Anybody who wants you to know that they are powerful as the mental health professional is probably not a safe person to be working no, for it's total or working projection. with. Yeah, like I <laughs> like my approach is as both client and therapist, I'm looking for somebody who sees our work together as a partnership. Mm-hmm. Um and looking for somebody who, like when I'm in the client's chair, believes that I am actually the expert on my own experience. Um and also like an unreliable narrator of my own experience and need help like sorting things through. Yeah. But that like my right to self-determination and my expertise on myself is always front and center. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's something to really think about when you're seeking therapy. Like does this person respect your autonomy, your self-determination, your knowledge of yourself? And Mm -hmm. do they find ways to meet you where you are? And like, pull more, draw more out of you, mm-hmm. like help you be more yes. you versus just talking down to you with a bunch of fucking advice. No. Ugh. Yeah. Fuck no. I mean, mostly my therapist now just asked me a bunch of fucking questions and I was like, I found the answers and I was like, oh my God. Yes, Did that's... I just say that out loud? Oh my God. I know. I, <laughs> it's like, that's so a good, profound. That's a good therapist. <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, so therapy, Yes, how I found my therapist was on Psychology Today. Yes. So there's like a filter you can put in all the things that you you know prefer. Um, so they have a fucking shitload of therapists on there. I know it's hard to pick and choose, but filter and sort them as much as possible to get down. And then you can email them, you can message them, and then you can set up like a consult over the phone just to see if you vibe together. And I think that's important is to, is to Super see important. if that energy aligns Um and that's what I did with my therapist. She called me and we just talked and she's like, yeah, I think I, I, I know I can help you. And I'm like, okay, sweet. You know, and that's how we set on that path. And it's been like three and a half. Fuck, dude. It's been four years. Yeah. Oh my God. And it's been a <laughs> transformational four years. Holy shit. Fucking time, man. I know. <laughs> well, um, is there anything else that we want to share with people around like, you know, you reach the point where you stop stigmatizing yourself, you mm-hmm. tune out society's bullshit, mm-hmm. you start getting help. Meds can help, therapy can help. Yeah. Anything Talking else that help. you recommend that like has been helpful to you in your journey to release yourself from judgment? Um, I feel like sharing with your friends, with your close Yeah. With your close people, your circle of people, friends, family, whoever they are, I feel like just fucking talking. Um, because not only will that help you, but that will help them. Like, I guarantee you that'll fucking help people open up more about what they may be going through. Yep. So I do feel strongly about, about sharing your, um, where you are at or checking in with, with, with people. people as much as you can, you know, yeah. don't put high expectations on yourself. Don't do it. Don't put any actually just, <laughs> just um, do your work and see what, see what you learn. Yeah. Do your work. See what you learn. Be open. Do not like, don't resist it. And know what? This, this right here is what helped me over the last few months is ride the fucking wave. All right. Ride the wave. Ride the wave because 
it comes in waves. It all comes in waves. Mm-hmm. Emotions, happiness, sadness, um, everything. They're, they're not long-lasting emotions. Happiness is not a destination. Sadness is not a destination. They all just come in waves. And when they come, you ride them out. And just like my little sister fucking told me, you're a motherfucking surfer. So that's what I think about because yeah. I know it's only temporary, whether it's happiness or joy or whether it's sadness yes. or depression, it's only temporary yes. and it'll go. So exactly. ride it out, baby. Ride it out. I think that's exactly right. Yes. I mean, I totally agree. Like finding people that you connect to, that you can talk to, that you can like feel safe um, disclosing challenges to, mm-hmm. um, is so, so, so helpful because yeah. the more, cause I also, I used to have this fear, like if I tell people this diagnosis, they're going to judge me. And that did happen. Like that did happen sometimes. Or like when I was dating, sometimes I would encounter a random weirdo that well, would be, people. that would be almost like too into oh, the fact that I have Ew. this diagnosis. Yeah. And I would realize like, Oh, like you like me sick. Like that's sick. Um, but like now I have my people. Yeah. I remember when I was first getting to know my current partner, like nervously saying like, I have this diagnosis and he was like, Oh, okay. Okay. Like totally accepting. And then like a few months later, I was like talking about it again. He's like, am I supposed to be worried about this? Like, it doesn't seem like it's not a very big deal. And that was so comforting. Mm-hmm. Um, Take that power. Yeah. Away from and then it. Just, yeah. And I was like, Oh yeah, I guess it's not. It's just a part of me. And like having, like I have my people that I yeah. can just say, like, this is a part of me. Um, Hey, if you notice me behaving this way, like, please ask me some, mm-hmm. please ask me these three questions mm-hmm. to check, to like check and see how I'm doing. And it's almost like self check, yeah. <laughs> like check me if I'm doing these certain behaviors. Cause it means that something might be out of whack and it's great to have friends that I can say that too. Yeah. And then since I'm a nerd, I've also found a lot of like, solace and healing through books oh so i brought mm-hmm. three that i wanted to oh share, i'm like what are you people. looking at i'm like oh it's not you're looking at your jewelry my, oh, okay. no i'm looking at my stack oh, of books yes. which i have like an entire bookshelf just of like self-help books and things that have helped me grow but i wanted to share three but i actually so. only read like <laughs> you, I haven't read fully one book. You but take what you get. And, I know. I yeah. dibble dabble in all of them. Well, in this first one, this one, this women one. who run with the wolves, yes. is actually like I found because you found it. I and found it's been I really healing. It. it actually found me. To yeah, be honest. It, yes. <laughs> I went into get the fucking Chelsea Handler book, and they didn't have it. And then this book called to me, the woman who run with the wolves. Yeah, and it fucking was life changing because it brought me back into my wild spirit and that just it was just a poke it was just like oh like i've been hibernating for so fucking long and i'm not anymore it's it's just really it's really fantastic it's very healing (laughs) very healing we strongly recommend it um The second one I wanted to just recommend, especially if you're somebody that maybe has a diagnosis that is more stigmatized, is this book, The Collected um, Schizophrenias by Esme Wang. Um, As you can probably tell by the title, she has schizophrenia. Mm. The way that she, and is also, she's an amazing writer. She's very successful despite any like limitations that may exist for her. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I I am not schizophrenic, but reading her story um, was so helpful to me. Like I saw parts of myself in here. And mm-hmm. I think that if you do struggle with a quote unquote serious diagnosis or a stigmatized 
um, diagnosis, reading other people's stories can make you feel so much less alone. Like she's got a chapter in here about um, a delusion that she had for about a year that like I also have had. Um, I don't want to go too far into it, but for like six months, once I sort of thought I might be dead, wasn't Mm -hmm. sure if I was or wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, This was a long time ago, but anyway, so it can be really helpful to read other people's stories. Yeah. Um, And then this final one, which is actually where we're going to find our pearl of wisdom today mm-hmm. is um, by my uh, Myra Hornbacher. Uh, it's called waiting. Um, she also has a book called madness. that's about her experience being bipolar. This book is about her experience in drug and alcohol recovery. Mm-hmm. However, when you are recovering from a pretty serious mental health episode, so a lot of the tenants of drug and alcohol recovery can be extremely helpful as well. Mm-hmm. And like for people on the YouTube, you can see how marked up this is. And anyway, it's a good one too. <laughs> so I'll put all of this stuff and more in the yes. show notes. Yeah. But, I love it. Do you yeah. want to share a pearl of wisdom yes. from this, one of these books that you have? Yeah. So this okay. is from waiting and um, I'll just read it and then we can sort of reflect on it. Sure. But it says the spiritual journey moves back and forth goes around in spirals, descends and ascends again. It's not a straight shot from the depths of despair that we feel now to the grace we hope to feel soon. Mm. And that resonates with me because it's so easy to get pissed at yourself for not being quote unquote better or perfect or for your healing journey, taking twists and turns or even feeling at times like you've gone backwards or like you've regressed. Mm -hmm. You just got to remember it's a like spiral that goes up and back down. It's mm-hmm. layers and it's not a perfect journey. Like no. you're gonna regress and then heal and then regress again and then heal again. And it just goes back and forth and yeah, you don't have to beat yourself up for that. Yeah. I love that because it's again, the expectation of, you know, that the the ending of all of this is, you know, happiness and joy <laughs> and like I'm fucking better and all of that. And that's not even that's not even the fucking point. The point is the journey, like having this feeling now, in this moment, now right now, this is what it's all about. It's not about in the future you might feel this way. This you you it's right fucking now. And um and that whole and wherever that is, wherever if you're sad or happy or where you are in your journey, it is always evolving, always changing, very fluid. Just don't resist it. Just flow with it. And either way, it'll bring you back home to yourself. Exactly. To the core of who you are. Yep. And that is that will always be that'll always be there for you. They will always be there for you. That's that exactly core right. of who you are. So, oh, thank you guys for listening to this episode. We have so much more. I mean, this, this was a lot of mental health, but we'll do more. There's going to be uh, many more to come about um, so much shit. There's a lot of fucking shit, y'all. I mean, so we have a lot and y'all have a lot. We've been hearing from you. (laughs) Yes, we have been hearing from you. We appreciate it so much. Yeah, we just want to say, you know, this is only our second episode, but we've gotten so much love and so much support. Thank you. It means a lot. We were really surprised and really grateful. Yeah. 
Um, and we want to keep hearing from you. So, yes. uh, first of all, rate, review, and subscribe and download on um, Apple, iTunes, or Spotify. All of that. Find us on YouTube and subscribe there as well. Yes, yeah, subscribe it, like it, hit the notify button, share us, you know, tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your neighbors, all of that. Everybody. You know, everybody. And yeah. tell us your stories. Mm-hmm. So you can, we really do want to hear from you. We really do. We will but... never share your name. No. Um, you can send it from an anonymous email if you want, but our mm-hmm. email is info at shhdonttalk.com. When we say shh, it's always with three H's. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're also at Instagram. Where can the people find us on Instagram? Instagram is shh, S-H-H underscore don't talk podcast. Um, Find us on Instagram. Follow us on Instagram um, for, you know, daily little, you know, tidbits or to know when our next episode is coming out or, you know, actually our next episode always comes out on Tuesdays. On Tuesdays but, Don't yeah. talk about it Tuesdays. But, you know, we have little, little fun, you know, things on there. Yeah. Come say hi to us. <laughs> and until next time, stop beating yourself up. Mm-hmm. You deserve to get help. Yes. There's nothing wrong with you. No. Do not shame yourself. Do not shame yourself. We Don't love do you. It. We love we you. We love you. And we will um, we'll we'll talk about next periods time. next time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we sure do. All right, y'all. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.